everything, everything good here? Yeah, that's good. Didn't want to let Jason down. He really wanted me to wear the Brittany mic. I didn't want him to feel like I'd, uh, I'd let him down. Uh, really, really good to be here with you uh, this morning. I've been here once before on a Sunday morning leading worship, um, a couple of, maybe two summers ago, and I, I spoke at the cafe church one night, but this feels like a promotion. This feels like this is the Premier League of, uh, of, of speaking, so it's really, really good to be here. Um, I'm going to be telling lots of stories tonight, tonight. Today, you've probably heard quite a few of them before, but bear with me. There might be better the second time. I might say something the second time I've never said before. Um, my name is Martin Ox. Um, I work for Aspire NI, so I get the privilege of spending a lot of time with Andrew, who was there, but has disappeared. Um, he doesn't work as well. Um, no, I get, get to spend a lot of time uh, with Andrew, which is brilliant, um, and he's, he's doing really, really well. As, and I think you should be so proud of him here as well. He, uh, he heads up Aspire and put it down. And we've recently got like confirmation that we're getting into St. John the Baptist next year, which is a new school. We went from four, stand this way. Is, that, is this where you want me? Bring this with me. Okay, sorry, Jason was telling me to move. I'm really just here to please him. Uh, Andrew's, Andrew's working uh, really, really well in Portdown. He's getting to get into new schools that we've had a massive um, heart for as well. So you should be really proud of him. Hopefully you're, you're praying for him. Um, he stops me eating too many custard creams on a Friday. We, we eat custard creams with the, the young people every day. And then he left over, I ate them on a Friday. Um, so sometimes I don't bring them into schools, so I get loads on a Friday. Um, I, uh, at Aspire, our heart is to see young people from disadvantaged backgrounds in edu- um, thrive in education, despite odds being stacked against them. Um, and our heart is to see young people from disadvantaged backgrounds find Jesus, find themselves in the local church. And when these two things happen together, all of a sudden you've got people who would have been in a cycle of poverty breaking out of that, finding Jesus, finding community, bringing Jesus to their family, changing a, a family's uh, destiny when it comes to... Um, a future with education, but also change the destiny of their family by finding Jesus. And that's um, what we do. Um, stats say that on the whole, the UK church is very, very middle class. Um, and we're no different here, but um, we long to see a day where the church is, is generally neither slave nor free, neither Greek nor Jew, and neither child nor tough, where everyone comes together. Um, I also help to lead a, a small church community in Kirkgavan, um, and we're called CARA, uh, which means friend. Uh, we are basically just a bunch of people who are trying our very best to practically and prophetically live out the hard sayings of Jesus in a place where the church hasn't turned up um, very much. I got married last summer and moved into Kirkgavan. So there's myself, there's another guy called Johnny, who also got married last summer and moved into Kirkgavan. I often accidentally say, me and Johnny got married last summer and moved into Kirkgavan, which... <laughs> Which is it's technically true, but it's not really the message that we're trying to get across. Um, when, I, when I moved in, uh, it wasn't that, that much different. I had lived for the past five years in Mournview in Lurgan, so it didn't feel a whole pile different to me. It felt pretty much the same. Um, only and I had a wife, although I had a plumber who's, who's one of the boys, um, and he used to always have to come out to my house in Mournview because I didn't know how to work things. Like one time our boiler was broke. No oil, apparently. Um, so I had to get him out. And the day he, I was, I was in Parkmore for like, that's where I live now, for like a week. And the, the plumber came out. And I thought like, this is just the same as Morvie. And he just went, my goodness, from the frying pan to the fire. I hope this is some kind of missionary work. Um, but when, it, when we're following Jesus, shouldn't that be how our life looks? Constantly from the frying pan to the fire from one thing to the next. That is what it looks like um, to follow Jesus. So uh, this morning, I want to look biblically at some examples of Jesus when it comes to who is my neighbor and how did Jesus model um, living out faith in front of um, our neighbor. And then I'm going to share a whole load of stories as well. Hopefully, it'll be in some way challenging, in some way encouraging, and we'll get to do a bit of praying at the end. I am known, uh, I speak quite often the car. I'm known for speaking really, really fast and also not for very long. So hopefully, if I can slow it down, we could manage to get seven minutes out of this. Um, but I wanna, I'm going to pray, more to settle myself, um, before we get stuck right into this. So um, let's pray.
Yeah, Father, we thank you um, for this church family gathered here this morning. God, and we thank you even for the heart to think about who is my neighbor, to ask the question, God. And Lord, we just pray this morning as we unpack this some more and um, look at some of my own experiences as well, God, that you challenge us this morning. God, we don't want to be comfortable this morning. God, would you make us feel uncomfortable? Lord, would you help us be people that move from the frying pan to the fire? Pray all this in your name. Amen. So who is my neighbor? That's the question that we're looking at this morning, and I understand that you've been dealing with it for um, quite a few weeks. Uh, We know, of course, the question comes from the parable um, of the the Good Samaritan uh, when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And ultimately, what Jesus is being asked is, who should we be loving? So if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, who should we be loving? How should we be loving them? And Jesus, of course, tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'll not go into it this morning. I'm sure you've probably looked at it somewhere along the line in this series. But um, the story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan is a story of a neighbor that doesn't look, smell, believe, or behave like the other. The story of this neighbor is that your neighbors will not always look, smell, believe, or behave like you. Um, and today I'm going to focus through a lot of my own experience of what it's looked like for me to learn to love my neighbours who are particularly from socially disadvantaged backgrounds. The church, as I said a couple of minutes ago, is predominantly middle class. And even in Lurgan, right, Lurgan, it's a bad name. Even the word Lurgan sounds quite hard when you say it. Lurgan, you know, people um, would, would criticise the town. But even in Lurgan, where I grew up, we have churches that are in housing estates. Um, and we have people who come from what our American friends like Jesse would call the suburbs and drive in. We have a culture where we have churches where, where people are at and we, we live in our nice houses on the edge. We drive in, we play church, we go home. But, um, and, and I'm not saying this judgmentally, I'm saying this because this was my experience. So as I was growing up, I lived in a big house in Donacone. We didn't live in Lurgan. Um, I never wanted for anything at home. If I struggled with um, school, I would go, Mom, struggle with this, need a tutor. £25 an hour, no ball, get one out. And um, we would do that, That's, and that was, that was seen as very normal. We used to do glow, which we still do, which is like a, a street reach type thing um, in Lurgan, like expression in Port of Down. And I would go out as a teenager in glow, and I would go to some estate, and I would go and cut someone's grass, and they would live in just a normal house, like the one I live in now. I would get back up, I would stand up in front, and I would say, it was so sad today. I was in this house, it was awful. How did they live like that? Nobody would pull me or correct me on my language, because everybody else felt the same, because all we knew was advantage. All we knew was advantage. The stats say that this is the, the, the normal story um, of, the, of the UK church, and it was my story. Um, I believed what I read um, in the newspapers and online, I believed there was some sort of underclass who were awful, who were rigging benefit systems so they could have loads of money. I didn't know that more money was um, being stolen by rich people with tax loopholes. I didn't know any of this stuff. It wasn't what I knew. It wasn't what I was brought up with. So I didn't feel challenged, really, in any way. But somewhere along the line, um, I discovered the Jesus message. And the Jesus message is the opposite to the world's message. Jesus believes in the kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what this means is, blessed are those who don't look like they have it all together. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the ones who look the least blessed right now, because I am with them, I am for them, and it is with them that I'm building my kingdom. And this is what I've come to experience um, and understand as I've lived some of this out. Um, I have a, a hero and best friend called Pete Portal. I hung out with him for one afternoon, so I consider him my best friend. He, uh, he lives in South Africa, um, and he does a lot of stuff with 24-7 prayer. Um, and uh, he said this uh, one time in the Tin House a couple of years ago. He was over speaking. He said, following Jesus will always lead us to those in the margins. If it doesn't, we need to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus at all? 
I'll say it again. Following Jesus will always lead us to those in the margins. If it doesn't, we need to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus at all? And when he said that, I was like, oh, challenge. That is a big, big challenge. I heard his wife um, at a conference one time as well said this thing, and it proper unsettled me. I didn't have a big TV at the time, but I aspired to have one. And she said, we need to have, uh, we need to have the poor around our house. Like Jesus has said it. You need to have them around for dinner. You need to have them in your house. And if you're worried, you know, about like your big TV or something going missing, then you need to go sell it because Jesus didn't tell you to have a big TV. Jesus didn't tell you to have nice stuff, but Jesus told us to be with the poor. And when I hear, heard things like that, as well, I was always really challenged about this, going, oh, that's amazing, but then just going back to my normal life. Um, so I hope that this morning um, that that doesn't happen. And every day, also, I don't want to settle. I don't want to stop somewhere and go, right, this is it now. I've got this. Because temptation all around us is just to aspire to have stuff, isn't it? Even if, if we look, like, biblically from the beginning, the first sin ever um, is, uh, like, Eve sitting there and... Satan comes along in the serpent and he goes, if you have this thing, if you eat this thing, then you'll be like God. And isn't all sin like that? Isn't that what's wrong with broken humanity ever since then? If I have these shoes, I'll be happy. That's where materialism comes from. If we could defeat this country in a war, and that's where war comes from, then I'll be happy. Racism comes from if there was more people like me and less people like them, then I would be happy. All sin is rooted in this want for something. And that's all I'd ever experienced in my life. But Jesus comes with a completely opposite story. Jesus' story is opposite to our modern-day fairy tales. All the fairy tales you hear about are about some pauper who becomes a prince or some woman who, who lives in poverty and ends up in the palace. All the stories we love on Britain's Got Talent that we cry over, even though it's the same story repeated, is look at this person come from this awful thing and they get elevated to become a pop star and it's amazing. But the story of Jesus isn't the story of rags to riches, but it's the story of riches to rags, of God leaving all of heaven to come and live on this earth, to come and live and and, uh, not have a place to lay his head. Um, It says in the Bible, this is our story. Our story is polar opposite. Our culture is polar opposite. The kingdom way is counterintuitive to everything that we have known. So my main challenge I want to bring this morning is, and the thing I want to bring to this who is my neighbor conversation, is that if your neighbors look, behave, smell, and believe like you, then there's something missing. If when your first thought of your neighbor is of somebody who looks, smells, believes, and behaves like you, then there's something missing. We need to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus at all? Um, If you have a Bible this morning, and it's up on the screen, I just want to look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Um, John chapter 1, verse 14, because this is where Jesus models out how we reach our neighbors. Jesus shown us with this riches to rag story. And this is what it says in John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And I love how the message puts it. I love it. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus, our ultimate example, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love this. In our Bible, we see no contradiction between Old and New Testament. But whenever we start to read the Gospels, we can't understand how the Pharisees came to the conclusions they came to. We look at them and go, those guys are mad. They're so legalistic. But they needed someone to become flesh and blood. 
God had shown um, the Jewish people how to live in the Old Testament, but they were doing it wrong. They literally needed someone to become flesh and blood, move into the neighborhood and be an example. And what Jesus did and how Jesus lived was completely different to uh, how they thought it was going to look. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And he didn't just show us a new way to be religious, how to keep on God's good side, but he came to show us a new way to live, a new way to be human. With his resurrection, he literally inaugurated a brand new humanity and sin and death were overcome. The kingdom um, looks like this. The kingdom is opposite to our modern day fairy tales. But stats would say that we as the church, the body of Christ, have moved back out of many neighborhoods. We've moved back out of many, many neighborhoods. The church is not present so many places. And we as the church need to follow Jesus' example and make this faith, make the God that we follow, flesh and blood, and move back into so many neighborhoods. Um, a Christianity lived out and fleshed out, expressed in all communities. Um, Jesus said he, it was better that he goes so that the Holy Spirit could come. And um, Pete Gregg always says, the only thing better than God in the flesh is God in all flesh. Well, if God in all flesh is only living on the outskirts, he's never actually meeting with the people, then we just become this uh, Christian bubble, don't we? Um, I've been challenged myself recently loads about social media. So, um, one thing, I watched this documentary, if you ever have three and a half hours, we can talk about it afterwards, called Hypernormalization. I work hard. Um, and in, in this documentary, it goes on to talk about sort of revolutions that happened through Twitter. So like the Arab Spring, for example, everyone was tweeting, let's meet here and overthrow the government. So they met there, overthrew the government, and then they're like, okay, who's the government now? They had no plan. So people who did have an ideology came in and took over. But at that point, social media began to change, and they started using all the algorithms. I'm sure you've heard this word, algorithms. So basically, what you like on social media will come back up on your feed. The things that you like, you'll see lots of, so therefore you don't need to do anything. For a tedious example, right, I love Oasis, the band, right, and I constantly like old photos of them on Instagram. So if you go into my feed, all you will see is all these photos from 1996. So I don't feel the need to tell you to listen to them because from my social media feed, I'm convinced that everyone's obsessed with them because I am. Because social media is just an echo chamber. It takes what you want and it fires it back at you. For example, like Donald Trump's a, a polarizing character. If you really, really like him, so you like loads of articles saying how brilliant he is, what will come up in your feed will be loads of articles about how brilliant he is. So you, you don't need to like worry because everyone loves him. If you really don't like him, you like loads of articles on Facebook about how you don't like him, what will come up in your Facebook feed, it'll fire to the top, is other posts about people who don't like him. So we've no need to do anything. So social media cripples us because all we see is a reflection of ourselves. And my question when it comes to the church is have we become an echo chamber? just reflecting ourselves back at ourselves. It's good to celebrate our own successes, but if that's all we see, we're hanging out with each other, we're spending time together in our houses, then that's not the Jesus revolution. It's just an echo chamber. It's just ourselves being reflected back at us, and we're going, isn't this brilliant? Meanwhile, Jesus is calling us to take his word, become flesh and blood, and move into the neighborhoods. I'm going to tell some stories about Aspire and about Cara um, because these are the examples and, and references that I have um, to go off. So um, if you've heard these before, I'm sorry, but I love them. Um, so I'll start off with Aspire. So um, I went off to become a teacher one time with no intention of becoming a teacher. I had watched this program called Teachers. It was about this guy called Simon. He cycles a bike to work. There was a donkey in every episode for no reason. They just randomly put a donkey in and you had to keep an eye out for it. What a summer I had watching teachers. So after I watched this program, I was like, I could do that. I'll become a teacher. Class. So I applied, and I'm sorry if it's your dream. I somehow got in um, to PDCA with no want or desire to become a teacher. Ended up um, 
studying to become a teacher. And while I was there, I learned the fact that if you're the, the biggest indicator as to whether you achieve or don't achieve in school is whether you're born into a family that is well off or not. So something about the kingdom says, oh, this isn't right. Some of my neighbors aren't going to achieve. Or some people who might not even be my neighbors aren't going to be able to achieve just because of where they're born. So who, how do we love our neighbor? What do we do? What do we do about this? I decided I would do nothing. Um, so I went on and uh, worked for this charity um, called Fusion. That was brilliant. And they work with churches and universities. Now, if you're not doing well in education, you're not likely to get into university. And if you go to church, you're quite likely to be well off. So I spent a year with a lot of well-off people. Um, but constantly in the back of my mind, knowing that... Um, if you're born into a poor family, you're not likely to achieve in school at all. So I, uh, I decided maybe something should be done about this, but I went to win this retreat. So again, it was in a big posh house in England. So I was sitting up in this big, nice posh house. And the posh house is quite hard to say. Um, there was a, a mad fire burning, and I was sitting up real comfortable in my seat, comfortable in my seat as a reflection of how I was in my life. And uh, the, the, my boss at the time, Rich, got up with some wonderful news. So Rich said, Guys, how we get paid is going to change. You're not going to fully raise your own salary. So, man, I was over the moon. That's what everybody wants to hear. If you heard that tomorrow in work, wouldn't you be delighted? So I was sitting in my chair going, right, okay, feeling suddenly uncomfortable. And I, I began to pray. And um, I, I, in my mind, you know, like in a film when someone's going to crash a car and their whole life flashes before them. All of a sudden, I was like, right, you know there's a problem with poverty and education. You're trained as a teacher. You've done church youth work for a long time. You now know how a charity works. So in my head, I went, the logical conclusion to this is I will leave this job and set up a charity that works with church youth workers to help people in poverty with education. The other part of my head called common sense went, that's a ridiculous idea, don't do that. So I was at war with myself. And then I decided I would test God in a way that uh, normally doesn't work. So normally if you go, God, I will do this. If you give me a sign right now, he doesn't. And you can feel like I don't have to do that because God didn't come through. So I said, God, I will do this if you give me a sign. Right now, zoom back into the meeting, and the girl Miriam got up and said, 80% of the UK church has university education. So straight away, I was like, oh, okay. So if you're poor, you're not likely to achieve five GCSEs. If you're in church, you're likely to have been to university. Not only are poor people underserved by education, but poor people are more, are more than likely not in church. I guess we'll have to do this. So I started telling everyone over the dinner table. They're like, what's your plans when you go home? I was like, start this new charity. It's going to be brilliant. Um, but I still thought it was mental. But um, came home anyway, um, set up the board with dodgy characters on it, like David McBride. Um, and Aspire began. And Aspire is a, it's a, it's a tool almost for the church to go and love their neighbor. It's a way for the church to go into schools, to work with the young people, to help them do well in education, but also to see them fall in love with Jesus. Because if, as the church, we, 80% of the UK church is university education, we have the skills that are needed to help people in education, but we also have Jesus. So we don't just go in and go and we can tutor. We go in carrying the hope of the kingdom. This is how we love a neighbor that otherwise wouldn't be in our sphere, wouldn't be in church. Some of the cool stories um, so far from Aspire, there is a, a young person who, anyone who's volunteered at Burnley will know who I mean. Um, not allowed to say names now. I keep, I keep accidentally saying them. Um, so uh, there's a young person, and uh, we started Aspire January 2017. Is that last year? Yeah, January 2017. His dad had died in the September, um, and he was in the bottom class of school. And he used to come to Aspire every day, whether he had homework or not, he was there, because um, he was a wee bit lonely and strange. Um, and um, 
he was wasn't predicted to do well, but it was kind of fine. It was like we'll just write him off for a year. He came top of his year in RE by the end of the year, which is great academically, right? But what what actually speaks more out of his story to me is he went on to at Glow, the my old property holiday I used to have. Um, he came along to to Glow, gave his life to Jesus, right? And it has not been easy since then to get him to come into church, but he stuck with us for like four hours a week anyway. So what a perfect tune to disciple him. But his um, his granda then died, right? And the first thing he did, he was at his uncle's house. He lives across the road from me. The first thing he did when his granddad died was come to my house and knock my door. That's the impact we're having. Whenever we try and love our neighbor in some small way, we might think it's insignificant. But to the neighbor, he obviously didn't get a whole part of that elsewhere. He came to my door and was like, yeah, my granddad's dead, and talked to me on my doorstep. I wrote this talk last week. Since then, his granny died. And I drove in on Friday night to my estate. He's just standing there, right, like in my estate. And I was like, "You all right?" And he was like, "Yeah, good days, bad days." And he just wanted to talk. And I spent 15 minutes standing in the middle of the estate talking to him, um, because this is what happens whenever we turn up. This is what happens if the church turns up where it otherwise wouldn't have been. Um, there was another guy um, who really, really struggled with anxiety, um, and. Uh, just c- couldn't, his mum was saying he wasn't talking, he wasn't eating, he wasn't studying, he wasn't doing anything at all. Came along to Aspire, he was a bit strange, so I didn't talk to him. But uh, Andrew talked to him loads, um, and his, uh, his mum rang the school a week later and said, I've got my son back, he's talking, he's eating, he's doing these things again. Because this is what it looks like when we start to love our neighbour. And most people that I'm working with would never have come in contact with church before. They never would have come in contact with church before. So who is our neighbour? These guys are our neighbour. People who are from socially disadvantaged backgrounds are not in church. People who are living in certain estates are not in church, and the church is not in the estate. And if we are, we're turning up, painting the fence, and going home. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I'm saying it because that was my experience. We turned up, we painted the fence, we felt good about ourselves, we'd done something good. But what about long-term pain? Um, I was talking, I wasn't talking, I was at this uh, conference, yeah, I wish I was talking about it. I was at this conference last year, and there was a guy speaking, and he was talking about his wife um, suffered with really, really bad migraines. And he was talking about how um, he prays for healing every single time. And he said one time she got healed. Every other time, there's never been any healing. But he sat beside her, and he cried, and he prayed. And he said, talk to my wife about what does she appreciate more. The one time the healing came through where every time he sat beside her in, his, in her pain held her hand cried with her cried for her and she would say that and that is what our communities are looking for when it comes to the people I'm working with they're not looking a quick fix they're not looking some transformation Tuesday and it doesn't happen either people are looking us to sit with them in their pain to sit with them where they are to sit with them in their lack and to be present in that moment to become flesh and blood and move into their neighborhood, move into their life. And these are the things we've experienced at CARA, we, not at CARA, at Aspire. We started with four, this time last year we had four young people. Um, in September we'll have 80, which is mental. Um, I sort of, we launched this campaign called 6060 in November. So basically in November we had 20 young people in the program. And I was saying if we got 60 new givers to give £20 a month, we could be working with 60 new young people so we have 80 by september we're nowhere near there but i've agreed to take on the extra 60 young people so if there is anyone and you are looking to uh, to get involved in what's happening with spire and you want to partner with us with given i have no forms with me but andrew mcguire goes to this church and um, or you can chat to me at the end we need still probably about another 25 people to commit and say i'm going to give 20 pound a month to aspire um what you're doing by that is you're not just um giving me money to buy custard creams but you're participating in this 
That's when we start participating in this. So whenever Glenn, or the guy, comes to my house again and he's crying about something else, this isn't just my story. This is our story. This is the church doing it together. Whenever we see people succeed, break out of cycles of poverty, this isn't an aspire success. This is our success. My favorite thing I get to do when I'm meeting a new school is they'll ask all the time, who pays for this? Like, what is this? And to say, the church. And the whole thing's free. Yeah. And it blew, like... People say it's really hard to get into schools and talk about uh, Jesus. It's not whenever you're going and providing something that the school needs. The school are asking you to come in. And you're going, we're going to talk about Jesus. And they're going, that's great, that's fine. Do what you want to do. Um, I started um, in some of the, the Catholic schools in uh, Lurgan. And there was a girl who came along. She was a bit shady at the start. And then after a while, she goes, this isn't a religious thing at all. I thought I was going to have to get my knees and say my prayers. I was like, well, not getting any homework done that way. Um, but it is, it is what the message calls pure religion. Whenever we're going in and loving our neighbours, we're providing things for people that couldn't have it to see them achieve. And before I move on to talk about Cara, my heart in Aspire as well is not that these, this is what's happened in, in churches for years too, is that people do well and then, then they can escape, move out, come live with us in the nice houses and the fringes. My hope and my heart for Aspire is that these people stay exactly where they are create opportunities, bring up families, change the communities, see people, and when I mean change, I mean as in people fall in love with Jesus, not people getting nicer cars. This is what I want to see. I was so challenged. There was one day there was a guy sitting in front of me in, uh, in church, and I began to pray for him. And like, he, he, I, I, I could smell him. Like, um, and I was looking at him, just going, oh, just, God, what does it look like for you to not in his life? The guy like, was wearing clothes. He'd been wearing for about five days. He was stinking. He smelled like smoke and other things and I was looking at him going God you just need to change this boy's life and then I started going what do I want like what what is change what what actually is change and I started thinking what I wanted was for him to look a bit more like me to smell a bit more like me to have the qualifications I have and I was like that's that's lovely but none of that is Jesus none of that is Christ transforming someone what would it look like for him to fall in love with Jesus what would it look like for him to give his heart to Jesus? What would it look like for him to go back to the place that he already lives in, to the family he's already from, and tell them about Jesus? I realized that I was hoping that people would become more like me instead of hoping that people would become more like Jesus. Um, really, really challenged me. Second thing I want to talk about, um, just story-wise, before we get back into some sort of response, is um, Cara. So, as I mentioned, um, I'm part of a church plant in Craigavon. This is our wee theme at the minute, No Place Like Hope. When I turn around, my head got in the way. Um, I'm part of a, a church plant in Craigavon. I want to tell you how that came about um, and tell you a few of the stories of what we're seeing. And I'm telling you this not to say, aren't I brilliant? I'm telling you this to say, this is what the church is doing. This is what we're already involved in. But to encourage you to push into more of this because um, I love that story, you know, um, where in the Bible, I can't remember where it is. It sounds like I'm just making it up. But where, where they say, um, I, we, like we, we prophesied, we've done all this. Um, and then they say, but apart from me, I never knew you. I just noticed that they said we. They didn't say I. So whenever we are answering to Jesus, I don't think I can get up and go, Cara did this, Cara, Cara done this, uh, Grace Community done this. But what, what did I do? Because does Jesus know you? Do you know Jesus? Um, are you actively involved in the story? So when it comes to Cara, basically I was doing that PDCA that I didn't really want to do. And um, I was in Portland College. And uh, I purposely chose to go there because I knew for my second placement, because I knew Portland College only goes from fourth year to upper sixth. By May, there's only fourth years, and I wouldn't have a whole pile of teaching to do. So I could spend a lot of time in a classroom, everyone else off doing their exams, and I got a couple of months just to sit there and play on my computer. Um, and um, 
while I was sitting there, I just had, I'd been, so there had been an election at the time, 2015, 16, there was an election around there, right? I was getting real cross about this election because politicians weren't making a difference and for some reason I thought I was. Then began to read my Bible and felt very challenged that at least they were doing something. I was doing nothing at all. Um, began to pray and my heart began to break for Craig Abbott. It was a place I just drove through because I lived in Lurgan, 10 house coffees in Portadown. Was just around about in between. Um, but my heart began to break for the area as I realized that not a whole lot of people wanted to be there. Um, people would have spoke badly about the area, and um, church presence in the area was very minimal as well. Um, so I began to pray um, lots about um, Kurgavan, thinking, God, how can, what could I do? How could I be involved? How could I see something happen here? And I knew a new guy, Rick Preston, who many of you don't know, he um, works for Reach. I knew Rick vaguely. I didn't know Rick that well. But I got this notion in my head. I was like, Rick, he'll know what to do. So I took my phone out in Portland College. I started writing this message. Hey, Rick, let's move into Kurgavan. Then I thought, that's a mental thing to do. So locked my phone and went off and taught a class. Came back, lifted out my phone, and I had a message from Rick going, hi, Mark, would you want to lead worship at such and such an event? And I said, yes. Also, when are we going to move into Kurgavan? And uh, I said, do a Shane Claiborne. If anyone's familiar, Shane Claiborne lives in an uh, estate in Philadelphia and works um, a lot among the poor. So I said this to um, Rick. Katie McLoone, who's also part of CARA, again, I was not friends with at this time, unbeknownst to me, the day before, had went into Rick's office and says, Rick, when are we going to move into Kurgavan and see a church planted and established? So God was already doing something. God was already breaking our hearts, challenging us about who was our neighbor. And Right now, if you're feeling challenged or you're, feeling, you're, you're praying about a particular um, people group or area, it's very likely that God's doing something with other people as well. Um, it's very likely that if you, the more you pursue this, the more God's going to help you run into these people, the more God's going to help you. But we just got to go. We've got to go. If, you, if you're just sitting in your bedroom thinking about it, no one's going to knock on your door and go, me too. We've got to start pushing for these things. So Rick texts me saying, look, don't, don't wreck my head anymore than it already is. Come to my house. Um, if you've got a few other people who are feeling the same, bring them along. So I turned up with 15 people because I mean business. Um, Rick then was like looking really nervous around the room going, oh, goodness, we've started something now. Um, I started calling him Pastor Rick at that point. He didn't like it. Um, and we, we met at his house, and we went around, and everyone in the room had some sort of heart or desire to see a church community established in Craigavon. And we didn't know what to do. So we went, we drove around the States, and we prayed. And we, there's an estate called West Acres, which is off the back of Drumgore, where Karen and I meet on a Sunday. And we just used to go there. It was a big building. And we were like, we want this building. We didn't have a name. We didn't do anything other than walk about. But we needed this massive three-story building. Spat over your stage there. Um, so we, uh, we used to just walk around. And when we weren't praying for the building, we were just praying, God, just turn up. God, what do you want to do? God, what do you want to do here? We want to be your hands and feet. What is it that you want to do? And we had no idea what it was that God wanted to do. At this point as well, Johnny who I didn't marry in the summer. Um, me and him were running a, a youth um, program in Emmanuel, and we were driving a bus one day, and he said to me, what are you doing tonight? I said, funny you ask that. I'm going to West Acres to pray. His face went all funny. and He was like, why? And I was like, oh, it's just a few of us that's been doing that. Unbeknownst to me, Johnny had, been, had left a friend off in West Acres a couple of months before, um, and his heart had been broken. He had been going once a week to pray in the same estate that we had been, and we all didn't know about this. So we were like, oh, cool, let's do it together. Yeah, good idea. So we began to pray together, and it was really, really good, and it was summertime, and there's pictures of us, and there's rainbows, and it's sunny, and it's lovely. Then it began to rain, right, and became a whole lot less attractive um, as two or three of us sludged around praying, yep, God, do something here, 
they were a little bit less hard in it. So we decided that what we needed um, to galvanize what was happening so that we could pray for this community, so we could pray for these neighbors that were not yet our neighbors, was to, to get a prayer room of some sort. So we wanted to have a prayer room that could run 24-7, that would always be available. So we met a guy about a building, and he said it'd be £15 an hour. Now, we have no money. We have no name. We don't have £15 an hour. So uh, myself and Rick went and had a, a lunch. We were really disheartened. And Rick said, let's just randomly drive around Craigavon and look for a building, which seemed like a good day. As I said, I work hard. Um, so we were, we were randomly... I didn't work for a spar at this point. £20 a month. We were randomly driving around um, Craigavon, and we saw this building that had to let on the side. Um, so I thought, oh, that will do. So I rang the number, and no one answered. But then there was a shop underneath, but I didn't want to go in because it was one of those drop-in shops. Do you know them? Uh, so there's a drop. I was like, oh, I don't want to go in there. They're dodgy. Um, but I decided I would go in anyway. And uh, I went into the shop, and there was a man sitting there. And uh, I was like, hello, do you know who owns a building upstairs? And then he said, uh, no, I don't. And then I was like, oh, I'm looking to open up a room. And then the man said, are you Martin Ox? I said, yeah. He was like, yeah, uh, someone told me about you. You're looking at a prayer room. Follow me, right? The man was Ian Liggett, right? So I was like, okay. So I didn't ask. I didn't ask his name. I just said, okay, sounds cool. Got back into Rick's car, and he goes, where are we going? No idea. Who's this man? No idea. He's <laughs> like, are we going to die? Probably. Let's go. It's like, imagine the, uh, the, the po- post-humus, whatever that means for after you die, effect is what I had. We'll be martyrs. So we followed Ian, and he brought us into the, the building in Ardoan at uh, Yoon, and he brought, brought us in, and he brought us in this room that was full of sofas and computers, and he goes, there's your prayer room. I was like, goodness, there it is. Um, and um, Ian was telling us, it sounded like too good to be true. Ian was like, yeah, you can just use this now. You can just come pray here anytime you want. Do you want a key? You get your key. And I was like, this man's mental. So uh, we, uh, we, we all left, and I was like, I'm going to find out if this man is mental. And everyone verified that he was. Um, <laughs> but then next thing, we're, we then had a meeting. So this is like Tabar. I'd, I'd never heard Tabar being talked about. I didn't know anything was going on. And next thing, then we're having this meeting with Ian and Neil and me and Rick, and they're all talking about how all our churches are going to want to work together anyway. And I was like, this is mental. This whole other thing's going on, but we're going to get this building. So we start praying in this prayer room, and then uh, Ian comes down the first night that we're all there, and he goes, what do you want to do? And then Johnny, who I didn't marry, says, um, I'd like a youth club. And he goes, I've got one on a Thursday night. Do you want it? And we're like, this man's mental. So uh, we turned up, and there, we were expecting a load of 17, 18 year olds. There was loads of kids, and they were mental. And we were like, we are not skilled in this in any way at all, but we're going to try and apply ourselves because these are our neighbors, because this is where we're called to be, because you're not always called to be where you're most skilled and equipped for. You're called to be with the people. You're called to become like... The, take the word, make it flesh and blood, and move into the neighborhood. We didn't know that whole time we were walking around an estate praying, God, what do you want to do? A couple of roundabouts away, Ian's praying for some other people to come and help with the work. Ian's praying for other people to turn up. Again, you've got to push into these things because if we hadn't have kept pursuing it, we never would have met each other. I never would have been here talking about this. Um, Kaha could still be a dream, but that is what happened then. So we began to have this kids' club, we began to pray, um, and we had a heart broken for a community. Um, at the time, um, before CAR began, there was no Aspire. Um, Reach was not in Craigavon, and Youth for Christ Craigavon did not exist. Um, since then, though, um, I set up Aspire. Katie, who helps lead CAR, was employed by Reach to go into the schools in Craigavon. And Johnny, who's part of CAR, was um, given the job role of pioneering Youth for Christ in Craigavon. Again, it's only God. And all of a sudden, we have so many different ways to love our neighbour. We have so many new neighbors that we wouldn't have had before because we pushed on and because we, we kept going. Um, there is two guys. So then 
Johnny and uh, Laura got married and moved into their house in Craigavon. Myself and Heather got married and moved in. But there's two guys, one called Matty, who also works for Aspire, um, and one called Simon Moutry. And Matty is mm, 20. He, is, he had done an internship and was starting uni. Simon's 24 and uh, works in Moutry's in Killicomain. These two lads decided they were going to move in to Craigavon as well. And they were going to move into a house. And I love this because then the expectation all of a sudden isn't just, oh, well, I'm not like married and all like Mark. I can't really move in the community. This is like someone who's in first year uni, could be living in Belfast, living the high life, but instead is living in Moriafferty. Um, this is Simon who could who manages these shops, could go and live anywhere he likes, um, but instead goes, you know what? I want to be, make the word flesh and blood and move into the neighbourhood. These boys moved into this house. And if you ask them how's everything going, they'll tell you not a whole pile's happening. But when you then dig into what's happening, these boys are per walking the streets. They're talking to their neighbours. Um, and my favourite story ever was um, about a couple of months ago, I was lying in bed. And I always turn my phone on silent before I go to sleep so it doesn't ring. But for some reason, I do remember flicking it on the loud and going, yeah, that's a good idea. My phone rang and it was Simon and he was terrified. And he goes, Mark, you need to come to my house. I was like, why? It's like 3 a.m. Because somebody keeps knocking the door. And I was like, right, okay. I was like, are they drunk? No, no. It's not a drunken knock. Are they on drugs? No, it's not a drug-induced knock. I don't know how he's so familiar <laughs> with all of the different knocks. And I was like, okay. So uh, they were sitting with, a, I think they had a crowbar or something, and uh, they asked me to come down. So I drove down into their estate, and the police drove out. And I was like, oh, maybe it was the police. Drove around the corner, and there's a whole block of flats that are on fire. What turns out, their neighbours that they thought they were having very little effect on, there's a woman that used to live next door to them, and her daughter had made sort of friends with Simon Amati. She had moved into this block of flats. The flats had been set on fire. Her flat had flooded, and she needed somewhere to go. And where did she think hope would be but with these two boys? So she turned up at their door. They didn't let her in, but <laughs> the next day they did. They met her, and they looked after her, and they helped her to get stuff sorted. Because when we turn up, hope turns up. That's why our theme at the minute, Akara, is no place like hope, because in these estates... Our, what are our neighbours looking for? Our neighbours are looking for hope to turn up. And if we don't turn up, hope doesn't turn up. Because hope is Christ within us. And when we turn up, hope turns up. And when someone was looking for hope, they could have went anywhere. The first place they went to was this random house with these two boys. They didn't know much about them, but they knew they loved Jesus. They knew they were different. They knew that they were living for the kingdom. We ended up then starting to do Kara Sundays, which is like church on a Sunday. Um, so uh, we've been meeting every Sunday um, for the last while. So we made it like ridiculous time. Uh, four o'clock, half four, half four. Made it, time to speak in the night if you're free, but come here after. Um, half four in, uh, in the Lightwell Centre um, is where we meet on a Sunday. And it's been amazing to see people just want to love their neighbour. And it's been amazing to see people not give up as well. Because as I said earlier on, isn't like any quick transformation. I'd love to tell you we started doing Sundays. Now there's 500 people from Craig Avon come flocking in, but there's not. One week there were 12 of us, but we meet and we're faithful and we keep going um, on Sundays. And every single Sunday I see as a success because there's an opportunity for everybody every week. There's an opportunity for people to come and um, discover Jesus. But also we're not tied to Sundays because Jesus didn't call the whole world to go to church, but church to go to the whole world. So the main work of Cara isn't a Sunday service. That's just something we do to put the Sunday in. The main work of Cara is whenever we go out and occupy all streets. The main work of Cara is when we go and volunteer or race in a spire, whenever we walk the streets praying, whenever we turn up with the kids on a Thursday night. This is what we do, and this is what it looks like to love your neighbour. We can't do everything corporately, but it's about what we do um, together. Real quickly, I want to tell you two future things before we lead on to some sort of response and respond out of this. Um, 
just because I get excited. I want to tell you some stories. So that big building, yeah. Remember I said we used to go pray. God gave us this building, standing, holding. People looking out the window going, who are these crazy cases? So that big, massive building in West Acres is like three or four story. It's massive. It's burnt out, but apparently it's indestructible because it won't fall down no matter how many times it's burnt out. We prayed there from day one, and very recently there's been a bit of movement about um, so the people that own it basically want us to have it. So they're going to try and sell to us. We've got about 50p in the account, but we'll see how we get on. But God's not broke. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is no use to us. We need cash, but um, we'll sell some of those cattle. Um, but they've got this massive, um, they've got this massive building. Where basically, they're saying we want you to have it. And what our dream is is to see a building, not to make a big fancy church that we can put loads of smoke machines in. Um, but we want to see. Could we have a Youth for Christ drop-in centre that the young people of Caravan are able to come and have their own drop-in centre? We're going to discover Jesus. Could we have the aspiring reach offices together that together we're scheming and dreaming for the schools in Caravan to see people want for Jesus? Could we see a room that we meet in on a Sunday and it's we call it church, even though church is what we do outside it as well, but we'll have a room, we'll have a place to pray. Could we see a 24-7 prayer room put in? Could we see counselling rooms put in this building? This all seems really far off and, and too far away, but at the same time, I feel like right now, I feel like it feels like it, it can't not happen now because everyone and everything's wishing for it to happen. There's a guy we met in our first prayer walk around West Acres. He runs the community association. He was an atheist. He was happy to chat, but he didn't want to pray. Not because of us, but he ended up going to Alpha, had his heart softened for God, and now he's ringing the people that own the building going, can, we, can, can Cara have the building? We started off and weren't in the schools. Now the schools are saying, we want you to have the building. Um, politicians are emailing me going, can we get a coffee this week because I really want you to have this building. The police, the police... Um, sergeant or whatever, I don't know police words, of Kurgavan is a Christian and met us and is trying to get us so much stuff because he's going, because we want you to have this. Like God's lining these things up. Whenever we push in, whenever we ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? And whenever we feel a call toward a people group, an area, whatever, and push in, God does the rest. God, like God is, is, is waiting for us just to move. So we're so excited. It was a thing we we're talking about recently where Kurgavan never actually got city status, obviously. But what does the city need? It needs a cathedral. And there is no cathedral in Kurgavan. The cathedral of Kurgavan ultimately is Rushmere. And the, um, the, the saints on the walls that we, that we look to and, and aspire to be are the mannequins in the windows, aren't we? Where we go along and go, if I could have this or that, then I'd be happy. But take a map of Kurgavan, Lurgan, Porter Down, and central Kurgavan. Put your finger right in the middle. And it's, it's West Acres. It's this place where we might be able to get this building. And that's not all about buildings. It's not, that's not what we're about. We're not about building our kingdom. But what if... What if we could get this place and we could turn this into a cathedral? Right out of that, we could see the story of Craigavon rewritten. What if we could see Lurgan Port Down and Northern Ireland? Why can't we see things coming out of Craigavon that are going to go and affect um, the whole of the country? Because nothing ever good comes out of Craigavon, but what if it did? Um, other, other future things, just really quick, just because I would love you to pray for this, because I've had this idea. I'm on a bit of a whim, and uh, people are going with so far in Cara, so let's pray for this. We have this idea that um, you don't know this people in Craigavon's main social interaction is not around a cup of tea and a bun it is around like a bag of cocaine and some whiskey right so people don't really know ways to be community and to be family so we had this idea long term what if we opened a coffee shop right and we created a space for people to come and, and to learn how to be together in new ways but then the more I thought about it when you speak to anyone from Craigavon they don't say I'm from Craigavon they'll say I'm from Parkmore I'm from Ardoan I'm from Drum Gore because there is no centre Right? There's Rushmere, where, where we go to do our shopping and drive home, but there, there is no actual centre. So we began to think about this and go, well, how can we create this new culture, teach communities a new way to be together, and get into every single estate? A coffee van right, is the idea. So we can buy a van that has all coffee stuff on it, go around every single estate, go up to people who have never had these things before, and go, do you ever have a Frappuccino? Get that. Um, 
to create this sort of culture and also create this clientele, not to make money, but to bring Jesus to every single estate, to bring Jesus to every single door, to teach communities new way to be together, to bring family to places where family isn't. Johnny, who I talked about when he got married in the summer, he had a friend who came along to his wedding and said he'd never, he'd never understood marriage because, I know it seems like crazy, he wasn't brought up in family, he'd never seen a family unit. And he was so blown away by Johnny's uh, marriage that he says he got engaged to his girlfriend and he wants his kids to come to Cara because he goes, I've never, I've never seen family before. I've seen it fleshed out and now all of a sudden I want family and I want my kids to be brought up in a church. What if we could bring that to every single estate in this van? Long term, we want to open a, a boy's house and a girl's house. There's so many people that we work with already who don't know family, don't know what it is. The basic things that you learned, like how to hold a knife and fork and how to say please and thank you, don't have these things, never known family, never known what it is to have a mother who loves them and a father who, who, um, who loves them. What if we could open a house for boys, open a house for girls, 18 to 25, struggle with addiction, move them in, help them, sit with them, cry with them in their pain, see them come, come around, give them some sort of employability in this coffee shop, not forever, but until they can go on and do something else. These are the things that are on our heart at the minute because they're our neighbours and we want to love our neighbours well and we want to see our neighbours thrive in Jesus and we want to see the kingdom come. But we wouldn't have known that unless we'd have took those first steps. This leads me on to where I want to land this and what I want to respond with. So my best friend slash hero, Pete Portal, um, I was listening to a podcast of his, and he was, he was telling this story. So basically, he lives in Manenberg, which is one of the poorest areas in South Africa, and he works with um, drug addicts and people in poverty. And he heard there was people at home, um, Christian people, who had been, um, who had been speaking negatively about him. And what the, the basic gist of what they were saying was is, how screwed up is Pete that he has to go and live with these poor people, live with these addicts to feel some sort of self-worth about himself? Like, I messed up, is he? Like, what went wrong in him? What went wrong in him growing up that he has to find himself in this situation to get some sort of fulfillment? And this obviously annoyed him. So he began to pray some angry prayers. How dare they, God? Why are they saying this about me? But eventually he landed and he said to God, am I, am I screwed up? And he felt God say, yeah, you are. Because I need people who are screwed up who don't see the world the way the rest of the world sees it. So I screwed you up real bad so that you could go and see the kingdom come among the poor and the broken in ways that it never has before. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, that's what I want. I don't want to conform to the patterns of this world. I want to be screwed up real bad. I want people to to question what's going on with him. Why why does he live his life this way? And I feel and I sense there's probably people in this room this morning, and that's what you want. You, You get... Like, time and time, like, it's just a cycle. Like, I know these things. I know that, like, buying things and owning things and doing this won't make me happy. But you fall into the same trap time and time and time again. And I have to constantly pray again, God, would you screw me up real bad? Because I don't want to be like this world. There are those in life who say yes, and there are those who prefer to say no. And those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures they have. Those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. There are those in this life who say yes, and there are those who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the ventures they have. Those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. If you're here this morning and you're tired of safety, you're tired of playing it safe, and you want to say yes to the adventure of God, and you want more, you want to say yes to more of God has for you, you want to love neighbors that you never even knew you had, you want to make his word flesh and blood and move into some neighborhoods, then I'd love to pray for you this morning. Um, I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything this morning, but if, if that's you, um, even just as I pray, I just love you to respond yourself as well and just to give your yes to God. But I don't want you just to say yes to God now because I was doing that loads of times. I want you tomorrow to start to make the first step. 
And if you want to come and talk to me about what, like, I have no idea, I'm no expert in this, we make it up as we go along, but if you're like going, what's the next step? I'll try and make it up for you. I'll try and help you make it up as you go along. But I'd love to just pray for you now. Let's pray for everyone here that we would be saying our yes, that we'd be saying yes to our new neighbors and yes to making the word flesh and blood and moving into new communities. So let's pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you went from um, the glory of heaven to come and live on this earth. We thank you that you example for us how to take the word, make it flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood. And God, we just pray that we can be people who move into new neighborhoods. God, I pray that right now, God, that you will be breaking individuals' hearts for different neighborhoods, for different communities. God, we don't want to have some sort of Christian ghetto, God, where we retreat and spend all our time together. We want to move, God, where you want us to move. We want to push into the places where you want us to go. So, Father, I pray right now, God, that as people are giving their yes to the adventures that you have for them, God, that we have so many stories coming out um, of, of Grace Community, God. We have so many stories of people who gave their yes to you, God, and experienced the adventure who don't give up, who don't back down, who push on, who keep going to see your kingdom come, who don't chase the things of this world, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but instead push on to live a kingdom lifestyle. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're going to do. pray all this in your name. Amen. I'm going to have the, the worship team up. I think we're going to respond to this. Let's respond to